Hi, my name's Kos and I'm a creative consultant. Uh, I used to be a worship pastor for a church uh, here in Bristol and actually I've been in Bristol for about 26 or 27 years. Uh, during that time I lived with Stuart North but I've also worked uh, with a lot of churches in and around worship and unity. It's great to be invited by Esther and the church to share something of my own heart around this subject and something of God's heart around this subject as well. So I've made a short little film that we're going to play in a moment and you'll also be hearing from a friend of mine, Carmen, about what she thinks around some of these ideas as well. So let's explore a church that's for diversity. Banana, 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 pillow, 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 unique New York, unique New York, New unique, unique New York, unique New York, unique New York, unique New York, unique. Is everything okay here? Have you ever noticed that if you repeat a word over and over again, that it loses its meaning? It's a psychological phenomenon called semantic satiation, where repetition causes a word or phrase to lose its meaning temporarily, and all that you then hear is repeated meaningless sounds. And in a funny way, that's kind of what I want to talk about. I want to talk about how we can know something and be so familiar with it, but through that overfamiliarity, we can lose the heart of that word or that idea. Today, I'm going to tell you a story that might not actually tell you anything new and that's because it's very deliberately a story about something that we have heard over and over but something perhaps we've forgotten or keep forgetting it's something so crucial to who we are as church and what we've been given and what we then give out to others now i don't want to tell you a story about Banana, banana, pillar, 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 pillar. I want to tell you a story about love. So, are you sitting comfortably? Great. Well, let's try to change that then. On the 25th of May 2020, George Floyd died at the knee of a police officer in Minneapolis, Minnesota, in the US of A. This tragic event caused a global uproar. It highlighted inequalities and injustices, not only in the US, but also here in the UK. It highlighted inequalities in our societies, in our workplaces, and even in our churches. Some organisations and companies issued statements about how sorry they had been for the past. Others issued statements agreeing that right now, it was time to change. But fewer still let those statements become a response. Fewer still transferred those virtues into values. Fewer still let those words become real flesh and action. So it's in this ongoing cultural moment, in this world of continuing hurt, that the church finds itself, where we find ourselves today. If you've been to church before, you will have heard over and over that this idea of love is fundamental. It's something so crucial and centric to Christians living out their faith. 
if church is less familiar, you probably have a gut feeling about how love works. Either way, we see what the absence of love in our world can do and where that leads, where hate leads. Actually, whether you spent a lot of time in church or not, the church in society, in the public view, it's supposed to be this brilliant, prominent symbol of God's love. One of the shortest statements about God is that God is love. So if churches are houses of God, then churches are houses of love. So there is no church without love, right? Jesus's words, love God, love your neighbor, aren't a simplification of how we should live out our lives as Christians and churches and individuals. Jesus's words are a clarification. It's a reminder of a priority that we can sometimes fail to chase. A reminder that amongst all the stuff that we do and busy ourselves with, don't be lazy in love. Don't forget about love. See, I believe that the global church can be this beautiful, prophetic, healing, positive vehicle of love, change and restoration. But in reality, and I include myself within this, it hasn't always been. We've been lazy in love and we all have on occasion sought comfort rather than a challenge. So has this over familiarity, have we through hearing about love over and over again, have we lost or forgotten something of love's meaning? Love is not a passive thing. It's something that has to be expressed from one place to another, from one person to another. Love is an action. Love is a verb. Love is a movement. And love moves us forward as we seek to love others. So when it comes to issues of prejudice, is love on the move? Are we ourselves on the move and moving forward? Can we get so used to how things are that we stop asking questions about who is missing from the table or who is missing from the discussion? When it comes to issues where people are diminished, looked down at, prodden, beaten, pushed and spat upon, when it comes to readdressing the dynamics of power and who gets to include who into what, when it comes to matters of imbalance, inequality or just plainly being ignored, have we forgotten Jesus's costly sacrificial love? Do we involve ourselves in love? Maybe we don't say hateful things, but do our words carry love outwards? And does that love display itself into action? Do words become flesh? Is there commitment and movement? Is it a response or is it just a statement? See, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not self-seeking, nor does it generate an advantage for itself. If it has a privilege, it's willing to give it away. It's not easily angered, even when challenged. It forgives and forgives. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love, love, love is a many splendid thing. Love lifts us up where we belong. All you need is love. Love seeks to stand with those who are currently standing on their own. Love looks on tempests and is never shaken. Love never fails.
As human beings, we fail and fall short. But thankfully, God's love calls and draws all of us in. And it's that love that we receive from God that we pay forward to others. We can only love because God loved us all first. Martin Luther King said this, in the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. And in a similar way, some of us who have received prejudice and hate may not remember every word of hatred, prejudice and ignorance, but in fact, remember the silence of our churches. We can't be self-protective people who look after our own interests and our own issues. If we fail to notice other issues and other people's issues, are we more like the passers-by than we are the Good Samaritan? So will love call out injustice in our cities and on our streets? Will the church call out injustices in our cities and on our streets? And will we call out injustices in our cities and on our streets? The church is God's instrument and vehicle for good on the earth. So love and justice must be things that continually move forward. We must be a, a people who continually move forward, who continually reach outwards and forwards. For we as church seek to be a people and a vehicle for God's change, vehicles for God's redemptive love, God's kindness, compassion and generosity. In a sense, we should always be comfortable to be pushed towards uncomfortable places. And we are a people called to share out any comforts that we might have to others. But issues of equality and diversity can no longer be matters of chance. They must be matters of change. And that change is about recognising that within the soil of the earth we live in, within the systems that organise our lives and with the structures that control power, all these things are bent, out of shape, and disjointed. They aren't what they should be. This kind of change will cost us something. But that is our remit as church. We're not just meant to be reactive people, but we're meant to be proactive people, reaching out to the concerns of our city and streets, to be proactively reaching out to the concerns of God. From Genesis to Revelation, from beginning to end and right through the middle of the cross, diversity is written on the pages of our faith and on the hands of our Saviour. Diversity is a part of our design, a part of our mission and also our ultimate destination. And heaven is a place in space where we will see for the very first time both the rescuer and the rescued. We will see for the very first time the fullest revelation and picture of Jesus and the fullest revelation and demonstration of the humanity that God loves. We will see a gathering of every nation, every tribe and every people like we've never seen before. And we will see all of this without our own biases, prejudices and insecurities. I think that the church, because it has this amazing direction of love and this amazing destination of heaven, because it is born into and has this perfect example of love given to us, the church is able to carry hopefulness and light into issues of hate and prejudice. It can work and love in areas like diversity, not because of its own skill or ability, but purely and simply 
because we have been set that perfect example of love by Christ. There's this picture, there's this picture, this analogy in the Bible about the church being like a human body. But you could also imagine like pages in a book or pieces in a jigsaw puzzle instead. In the story, it talks about being unified, being one and working as one. That each part, page or piece has an appreciation for each other. That each part, page or piece has its place in the greater body, story or design. And without each component, we lack richness and colour. And without each component, the church lacks richness and colour. Later on in that same analogy, it says that there should be no division in the body, but its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. In these two sentences, we see that there is a call for the church not only to recognise and engage in issues of diversity, but to also celebrate and champion it. We are not just to rally against social injustices, but we are called to build and fully embrace the richness that diversity offers and the richness that God gifts through it. These kinds of matters aren't separate from the Christian faith, as in so many ways through our Christian faith, we recognise that we have more in common than we do apart. We recognise that all are God's creation and that all demand a respect for each other in a way that is profound and reflective of the God we seek to follow. We recognise that our lives, our work and even our churches need to change because all these things don't currently honour human life in the way that God wants and desires. And we recognise that God's gift of love is the kind of love that calls us forward and moves us forward and where required, is willingly sacrificial as Christ was. A God-given diversity is something that not only enriches our community and call as church, but it's something that also enriches us individually. And a God-given diversity is something that, that not only avoids hate, but runs towards love. When it comes to issues like diversity, how we fight for those who are forgotten tells us what we remember about Jesus. It tells us something about ourselves and something about our roles as Christians and as church within society. But when we forget about those who are excluded, we fail to remember that God has included us, that we all kneel an equal distance from the cross. We fail to remember that we are all equal recipients of God's grace, equal partners in God's mission and equal travellers towards God's heaven. We fail to remember that issues of diversity are really issues of God's kingdom. So I would suggest to you that diversity is a matter of love because it is a matter of God. And a church that's for love is a church that's for diversity. So this is my friend Carmen. Carmen, what do you do? Uh, what's your job? What do I do? That's the question, isn't it? <laughs> um, so basically with my, my part-time job, I work for the um, Keyboard Trust, 
which is managed by the Churches Together for Bristol or Together for Bristol. And my role as a keyboard networker is to engage with local church leaders or faith leaders within the Bristol community. So what, what are your feelings about in this last kind of like year or so, like the church's response around things like George Floyd and the challenges of racism? Like what, what, what are you feeling around that? I think before we look at the George Floyd incident, we need to look at prior to that. There was a pandemic that we were dealing with as a nation, as a world, uh, that basically was a pandemic of racism. It's always been there. It hasn't just become a light thing that happened when George Floyd was brutally killed. It was already there and it's something that the church, I think, should have been dealing with prior to that. But because it was so, so publicised and so in our faces to see a man's life being taken from him, it affected people in a very, very deep way. I, for a number of weeks, couldn't stop crying because it was just so devastating to see that. And, but I felt, okay, my tears aren't enough. What can I do to make a change? So personally, I sort of like engage with other groups and organisations that in a sense try and network with them and try and see what we can do in terms of moving forward. There were a number of churches within Bristol that provided us with statements against their, you know, their, their, their compassion, I guess, and their concerns with the issue. And also their disgust with seeing what they saw. But to write a statement for me is not enough. What are you going to do to continue moving the conversation forward? What would be like your thoughts around Christianity and individuals in terms of that kind of like response? There comes, there's two points to that. When you have been dealing with racism for a long time, you almost, I guess, get used to it. Um, and there is almost a level of, um, do I have to deal with this again, <laughs> sort of thing. But I think within the church environment, like I said before, there needs to be a space for people that can talk about the dialogue that they're feeling. Mm-hmm. I think that the church needs to... Um, course Hmm. I think is just just being honest I think there has to be honest dialogue and I think some of the churches are afraid to go into those areas that they're not aware fully aware of or how to handle what I say to people at least ask the question at least provide a space for the dialogue don't shy away from it but go into it with love go into it with ignorance you may not know everything I'm not asking you to know everything, but at least show some compassion. There has to be some compassion in that. And I think some of the churches have definitely stepped up in terms of making the space available for their members or their community, really, that they're based in. But don't stop. Yeah. yeah. Don't stop doing what you're doing. If you don't know, ask for help. Go to those people that may potentially be able to help. And if they can't help you, go to someone else. Engage with the black churches, I think. Engage with the leaders. They want you to reach out to them and talk to them, support them as equally as they will support you. So it's, it's, a, it's a two-way thing, isn't it? It's meeting yeah. in the middle. I look at it like this, that there, I've said it again, I've said it before and I'll say it again. There's a part of the body of Christ that is hurting. And just because the incident and the, the issue isn't in the news, it doesn't mean it's gone away it's still there and so for me if you know I got a cut and you 
constantly look at me, you see my cut, you're not, you're not, you're not saying, Carmen, how's your cut? <laughs> it's almost like you don't care. It's like you're just seeing me bleed and you're not you're not saying nothing. Even to say, Carmen, can I put a band-aid on it just to ease up the pain? Or can I give you a painkiller just to ease the pain? There's part of the body of Christ that is healing. So church, we need to come together and say, how do we look at this part of the body? That's heat. That's hurting. Sorry, not healing. It needs healing, but it's hurting. Yeah. So how yeah. do we get to the healing? And that's a process, because you can look at, say, for instance, salt. Salt is, uh, it, it can bring soothing to the healing, to the wound. It can bring, uh, take away the infection, but it can also be painful, because when you're trying to heal a wound, there is pain in the healing. So I, I, I think. We need to just, rather than shy away from it, we need to face it full on and say, how can we do this? It may mean coming together in prayer. You know, there's been lots of um, meetings that people have come together and, and almost like uh, uh, ask for forgiveness for slavery and all that sort of stuff. That's good as its place. But where do we go from there? We can't keep on doing that and not having anything implemented that enables us to move forward. That's quite a long answer, but there's so much to it that yeah. we can't fit it into this time that we're talking. What are like some some almost like practical things that that you would want to see happen, or that people could engage either on like an organisation on the church level, or kind of on, even on an individual level? I think if people look at where they are in terms of the issue of race, how do they feel about it? And how does that make them feel? Do they feel that they have a responsibility to do anything? And if they do, then they should work, they should basically act on that. So looking at how can you change the way you think? How can you look at how you can educate yourself on something you don't know? Or even actually asking another member of a different community and race, how are they feeling about this? And being willing to listen and to actually take on board what that response may be. It may be a bit um, uncomfortable, um, actually, it will probably be uncomfortable, let's be honest. It, it, racism, for most people, is uncomfortable. It, you know, it's not a pretty, pretty thing to talk about. And it affects all of us in different ways in some way in our lives. But when you've been brought up in an environment that looks at you because of your colour, it judges you first before knowing you as a person. That is a weight to carry that a lot of people don't want to carry. They want to be judged based on who they are, judging your character and who you are as a person. Uh, Carmen, thanks so much for all your thoughts and your wisdom. Thanks, mate. No problem. You may have heard that last year, uh, just 15 minutes walk from the Abbey building on Filton Avenue, that somebody who was just finishing work at the hospital was attacked in a racially aggravated assault. Also last year, Avon and Somerset Police announced that there had been a 20% increase in hate crimes around race. Issues of hate and issues of the absence of love are very real and they are very much on our streets. So we need to pray, we need to engage and we need to involve ourselves in this issue. So let's pray for God's guidance and for God's love in this and let's pray also that actually God speaks to us about this and speaks to us about our own engagement and our own willingness to engage in these kind of issues. Sovereign Lord Jesus Christ, who took human form and broke down the walls that divide, we seek your forgiveness for not living out the truth that all are one in Christ and for the sin of racism. 
We pray for all those affected by the marginalization of prejudice and the violence of racist words and actions. We pray that we might uproot its cancerous and systemic hold on our own institutions. We pray that we might recognize in reverence your divine image and likeness in our neighbors and find joy in their resemblance. We pray in your name, seeking your glory. Amen.